0: Have you ever wondered, could a genetic test for your diet be any more useful than a common sense advice on avoiding processed food and focusing on homemade meals with plenty of vegetables and fruits? What is the use of genetic testing for predispositions of diseases? Even if you have a predisposition for something, it's very often the environment which will or will not trigger it. Genes are mysterious, puzzling, and the topic of today's Medicine Today on Digital Health podcast.
1: Dear listeners,
0: welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health. I am your host, healthcare journalist, Tjasa Zeitz. I work for a Slovenian Medical Monthly Journal for Doctors and Pharmacists, Medicina Danes, where we focus on novelties in medicine and healthcare. In this podcast, we are exploring the potentials and dilemmas of digital health. Today's topic is genetic testing. How has it improved in the last 10 years? The Human Genome Project has estimated that humans have between 20 and 25,000 genes. But how much actual useful correlations and information has been discovered so far with the help of testing, big data and analytics? I talked to Suraj Ratnakumar, a scientist with a PhD in biotechnology from University of Cambridge. He's also the CEO of Swajin, an Indian company for medical genetics. We talked about the understanding of genetic testing, precision medicine, and the current limits of hopes around the genetic testing. Enjoy the conversation and do subscribe to the podcast. You can find it uh, in iTunes or SoundCloud under Medicine Today on Digital Health. There's a lot of competition on the genetic testing market. I only checked the crunch base and there are almost 800 startups dealing with genomics and genetics listed there. What drove you into it? Where is your interest?
1: What do I love about genetics? So I started with uh, a love for molecular biology and that's where uh, my passion for, you know, in uh, my level science began so the molecular levels of science and what I really like about it is the basic understanding of how how biology works how uh, bodies work how animals work on a macro scale and it all stems from the micro scale how the genes are pro- processed and that leads to proteins and these proteins give way to uh, lead to uh, who we are and what we do and how we do things, all of those.
0: Let's go to the basics for a second. What can be predicted with the genetic testing so far?
1: Actually, that is increasing on a monthly level. So if we start from where it all began, uh, so we came to know that, okay, genes are important and that's because right from uh, reproduction, materials are exchanged uh, by the parents. We have known through centuries that, okay, the child resembles the parents. But beyond that, it has only been recently that we have gotten into uh, a level of genetics where we understand that a lot more than diseases can be predicted from them. For instance, until about uh, 10, 15 years back, all we thought is genes cause genetic diseases because of mutations. We didn't know so much more about their essential function in day-to-day lives. And that is what has led to this uh, blossoming interest, I think, by everyone in the field of genetics.
0: Gene sequencing is not a problem anymore today. We are gathering a lot of data, but the problem becomes when you need to make a good interpretation out of it. How much are we just data rich and information poor today?
1: We are still in a very early stages of what we know about our genes and what these genes lead us to uh, do or become. And therefore, there are places where, for instance, a lot of things have been very well established where a single gene leads to a single condition.
0: But that is quite rare. Usually diseases are connected to more genes, only specific Genetic diseases are monogenetic, meaning that they correlate to one specific gene?
1: Usually genetic diseases are caused by uh, single genes. So a gene has a mutation and therefore that leads to the disease. And that is why a lot of the diseases have genetic testing as the confirmatory diagnosis. Now, on the other hand, if you take diseases that are super complex, such as if you just say heart disease in general or diabetes, now those are diseases where hundreds of different genes are involved and we cannot predict from just a few genes or even the level of analytics has not evolved to a place where we can say with any level of certainty that someone is going to get heart disease or diabetes from doing all of those genes together. On the other hand, even among these genes, now we know that there are certain genes that lead to monogenic diabetes or monogenic obesity. And therefore, these are conditions that are linked clearly to only a single gene by themselves. Uh, If that gene has a problem, and there at least are two or three uh, genes that lead to monogenic diabetes and obesity. That increases the risk of diabetes or obesity manifold, almost to the extent that if a person has that genetic variation, they are going to have a higher BMI than normal. So they're going to be overweight, for instance. And in when we come to the case of a lot of information and a lot of it that is useless information and only uh, some part of it as usable information i quite agree with that to a certain
0: extent let's clarify a bit what kind of genetic testing or gene sequencing exists today
1: what we do in our lab is pcr based tests so we look for particular genetic variations so we are only interested in the genetic variations that are that we know Uh, have very well established science and medical evidence uh, behind them and therefore we just find out if it is present or absent. That's PCR-based tests and then the first generation sequencing, that is where you can sequence only a very small uh, strand of uh, DNA. So you are going to look at the gene of particular interest and then sequence only a small portion of it to identify if there are any uh, mutations or variations in that particular portion on the other hand when it comes to next generation sequencing uh, now this is quite modern and this is where you can take tens of genes or hundreds of genes in the panel and there is even a case of uh, even uh, tests called whole genome sequencing so you can sequence the entire genome of a person and therefore no each one of the three billion bases that are present in that person.
0: In which diseases is this knowledge most useful? So which diseases are better managed today thanks to genetic testing? Uh,
1: A decade ago, how we used genetics was only in the diagnosis of genetic diseases like sickle cell anemia, uh, muscular dystrophy, those kinds. And we still use them so which are very capable and useful uh, diagnostic tools in the practice of medicine today we have gone uh, a step further in the use of uh, in in towards what is called precision medicine so in precision medicine depending on a person's genetic variations they are going to be they are going to display disease patterns differently What is called the prognosis of disease. So how is the disease progression going to occur in that person? That is going to be affected by the person's genetics. And also, our treatment decisions will differ based on these genetic variations. So if a person has a genetic mutation in a particular gene, then they will be treated differently because that kind of treatment will work much more favorably for that patient.
0: Yes, that is especially prominent in oncology at the moment. It's taking huge advantages of genetic testing.
1: Certainly. And uh, one of the main reasons for that is because in oncology, Uh, cancer is caused because of genetic mutations. Most cancers are caused because of genetic mutations. So we identify which which is the genetic mutation that is involved. And then what pharma companies did was how do we target that particular pathway or that the protein that has been affected? That that led to the development of very targeted uh, drugs, and that's called targeted therapy. Therefore, this has led to the emergence of the field of uh, precision medicine. So oncology is still one of the front runners in the field of precision medicine, although I should say that other specialties in medicine are also catching up uh, along with it.
0: Humans are prone to simplifying things. We decode the mechanisms of a disease, find the genes responsible for it, and then we search for a drug or therapy to influence a specific target. This all seems pretty straightforward, yet not all patients responded the same. Why is that? Why do the same correlations work differently in different patients?
1: <laughs> yes. Um... So uh, for the first part, humans, we like to simplify things. It is almost uh, important for us to simplify things in order to better understand them. And also, uh, what uh, another thing that we do is categorize things. So even in terms of precision medicine, we, ha- we stratify people. So we put people in different buckets. Uh, we say that, okay, because of the presence of a genetic mutation, the person is a good responder or a poor responder to a certain kind of treatment or the person is at high risk or low risk of a certain kind of adverse effect, a side effect of the treatment that is being given. As for the question... um, why people respond differently the answer again uh, in a lot of cases depends on genetics but also uh, we have to consider all the other factors that coexist for instance uh, the entire lifestyle the clinical history a lot of times uh, the personal and family history of a person um, the diet that is involved so all of those things are things that can be controlled and we need to regulate beyond those the person may still have undiscovered genes genes that are do not explain why a pa- patient uh, why one person responds to the therapy but another person does not
0: so how unrealistic are our expectations of what usefulness genetic sequencing and genetic data actually has when we know how important all the other factors are when it comes to predicting if we will get sick for a certain disease or not?
1: Uh, right. So here we need to uh, distinguish between two aspects of things. One is the medical use of genetics and two, all kinds of non-medical uses of genetics. In science, as scientists, what, uh, how we do research as we take a population, study their genetics, try to control for a lot of the uh, other factors that affect things, and then find out what changes in a person with a particular gene. And therefore, we are still left with very high statistical probabilities and statistical levels. So that's why we always say that there is a 90% chance um, that someone is at risk of disease. There is a 95% chance that someone is going to respond really well to treatment. Now, if I take in genetics the case of uh, lung cancer, so we find out by doing genetic tests that a person has EGFR mutation. Now, if the person had only EGFR mutation, then they will respond really well to anti-EGFR treatment. And so we will recommend anti-EGFR treatment to them. Now, then we found that some of these patients are still not responding. So what the scientists did is find out why some of some patients are not responding. And then they found out at least a, a, a handful of other gene mutations that are involved Because those gene mutations can completely bypass this pathway. So even if you use anti-EGFR treatment, there are other pathways that uh, go on in the body that still protect and preserve that cancer. So that's why those patients would be termed resistant. Now, we still do not know all of the uh, causes that lead to resistance, so that's why we are at a place where we are able to say with surety if we find a certain mutation, uh, to only to a certain extent. For instance, we we haven't tested for other mutations, or even if we test for other genes and mutations, we are not at a level to make any um, uh, confirmatory statement whether the mutation affects the person. in in course of the treatment. So that is the medical side of things. Now, when we come to the consumer side of things, part of the statement still holds true that we do genetic studies on thousands of people and then find out that, okay, a person with an MC1R genetic variation has very fair skin and red hair. Uh, And also they are prone to skin cancer. So they have high risk of skin cancer. Uh, So we can make that statement and we can make it with a certain level of surety and by and that's why we say that you're likely to have red hair uh based on this gene and you're likely to have high risk of developing skin cancer based of the, based on this gene and therefore these are the uh actions that you would take you would protect yourself from sun and uh high levels of u v exposure you would preferably use uh sunscreen when you step out those kinds of things,
0: yeah. So when it comes to diseases or, for example, food, there is still a lot of uncertainty whether or not the specific probability is going to apply for you. I guess the next question is, when it comes to well-being, stress, and diet, how useful can the genetic tests be compared to a simple advice that you should eat well, exercise, watch that you eat a lot of vegetables and fruits?
1: So there are three aspects here. One, uh, diet, two, exercise, and three, stress relief mechanisms. And I'm going to call, uh, just label it as meditation for now. Different people have different uh, mechanisms in how they respond to each of these things. For instance, if someone had a genetic variation in a gene that processes folic acid, which is an important B vitamin, and now a very prevalent genetic variation leads to much lower processing of folic acid. Now, it has been found that these people need either dietary supplementation Uh, nutritional supplementation of a special, a methylated form of folic acid. So normally we would not consume the methylated form of folic acid unless we knew that, okay, we have this genetic variation. Now, if I take another example with, uh, in the case of diet itself, there is a mutation that occurs in a gene called UGT1A1. And in people that have this particular mutation, they find it harder to remove Toxins to eliminate toxins from the body. Now these toxins they occur in the environment in the form of pollutants, but they are also ingested. We consume them when we eat um, meats, especially because when the meat is processed uh, by uh, deep fried or pan fried meats and uh, grilled meats, for instance. So barbecues. So a person with the genetic mutation will not be eliminating these chemicals efficiently. Now the when these chemicals accumulate in the body that affects a lot of processes right from it leads to accelerated aging to scientists have found out recently that it also increases the risk of colorectal cancer so this is very useful information in finding out that okay i mean go enjoy your barbecue in summer but have a very small portion of the meat or if possible avoid it altogether because your body is not going to eliminate the toxins that come as a package of that meat now I want to give an example in terms of exercise and stress uh, when we uh, com- uh, combine them together some people respond really well to exercise to cope up with their de- depression, but some people don't and they fa- uh, they have recently found that there is a particular gene involved in uh, finding out which person who who will respond well to exercise and who will not respond well to exercise now if you are depressed you cannot tell everyone to go exercise because it works only for some people so for some people you can tell them you want to do exercise and instead so you don't want to really take antidepressants uh, until you know you have uh, you have tried out exercise because it is likely to work for you very well on the other hand there are other people for who you cannot recommend exercise because that is probably not going to work out that well for them. And therefore, you want to give them drugs to help them cope with depression. Yeah, So these are places where even in cases of diet, lifestyle, meditation, exercise, all of these uh, genes can go beyond what we already know about ourselves and therefore help us with a lot more precision.
0: I would be really surprised if you didn't get your genome sequenced. Did you change any behavior based on your genetic data?
1: (laughs) So to answer your question, I'm going to uh, actually disappoint you a little bit because, yes, my sample is in the lab and my sample was used in the very beginning uh, for a lot of the tests, you know, as validation sample or control sample. But on the other hand, I uh it it is only um it is only now that we uh, i have decided that okay i am going to uh, take all of these tests and then find out what it says and actually get a proper report so so but you must be curious i am indeed i'm very curious i keep thinking almost on a daily basis that oh i must have this genetic variation or i must have that genetic variation it's almost like psychology you know where you read about a psychology, uh a psychology book and you're always thinking that, okay, you have this condition or you have that disease.
0: (laughs) It's a similar problem medical students have when they learn about new diseases. Sometimes symptoms seem like something they have, so they feel sick even though they are not, or they're just afraid that they have a very rare disease.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, that is where at Swagin it's very useful to have the medical expertise as well.
0: How much confusion is, in your opinion, on the market from the consumer side in terms of expectations what genetic sequencing can bring them? The sequencing itself is not a problem, but the interpretation of the data is the key thing to success.
1: What actually I found out recently and which quite surprised and alarmed me is that people are actually afraid of their genes. So when we say a genetic test, a lot of people are afraid. I don't know if it's a geographical thing or if it's a global thing. People refrain from getting their genes tested because they think that they're going to find out a lot of unwanted and uh, uh, dangerous things about themselves, you know. Uh, So there is a lot of um, misunderstanding and misperception that is prevalent in the public. And therefore, a lot of work still remains to be done in creating the awareness and the education uh, in the public that genes are actually your friends. uh, It is because of them that we look different, we behave differently, and we have different interests and all of these.
0: What are the main misconceptions you see in the public?
1: Oh, uh, that genetic testing, it is an extreme case, so far, we have not been exposed to genetic tests at all. It is, it is a recent phenomenon. Even today, the vast majority of the human population, even the vast majority of population that have access to genetic tests don't undergo any genetic tests. And one of the reasons is because we don't even consider it. The second main, I, I would call it more of a gap in understanding, is that people don't realize the amount of um, value that the genes that they have in their body can provide to them, so that is about the consumers. Now, when it comes to investors, it's a different story. Investors are super interested in biotech and healthcare uh, because these are huge markets, and these are uh, and especially when you talk about genetics in healthcare, it's a relatively new and modern market as well. W- one of the main drawbacks there, at least, I, I'm going to be geographically restricted in terms of the investors that I speak about. The lack of knowledge of uh, what you can actually do with the genes and therefore how you can actually utilize the genes. There should be a bigger level of um, thematic expertise. Investors that have a lot of exposure in healthcare, they would know quite a lot more about it.
0: Mm-hmm. You can promise a lot with genetic testing, but the issue is what can actually be delivered, especially some neurological disorders or other diseases in general. Even knowing that a specific gene is connected to a specific disease, that still doesn't mean we have a cure. So what you use is the data if there is no solution to change the course of the disease,
1: Uh, I think you are probably talking about Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So I'll come to Alzheimer's. But before that, uh, to tackle. uh, So this is a major problem among humans. Okay, all of us psychologically, we have some problem. If we can take a drug to solve it, we are super happy and we are going to buy that drug and eat it. Right. So if there was a drug for happiness that will sell like uh, like pancakes everywhere Uh, On the other hand, we don't have a drug for happiness. Uh, So when we take the case of Alzheimer's disease and we find out that, okay, a person has genetic predisposition for the disease and is going to develop it early in their life because of this gene, uh, we can suggest certain things to improve their cognitive function, to delay um, their cognitive decline, and therefore to delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease. And uh, the second thing that can be done is because you are aware of this now, you would also keep a, uh, an eye out for it. And Alzheimer's is one of the uh, diseases, and usually most diseases are uh, like this, where you ca- if you catch it at a much earlier stage, then you can do a lot more to help the per, uh, the patient suffering from the disease than when you catch it at a much later stage. So there is actually a lot that can be done. Even though you cannot, uh, as you said, you cannot cure uh, Alzheimer's yet.
0: A lot of responsibility is associated with new knowledge around diseases. In Alzheimer's disease, because there has been no cure found... So far, scientists are even reconsidering the basic hypothesis, what causes it. The initial idea was that Alzheimer's is caused by the building up of amyloid, a special protein in the brain. But since the targeted drugs for that protein didn't uh, seem to be too successful by now, the issue is is this even the real cause of the disease
1: all of us professionals that uh, play any role in the medical or healthcare system take this responsibility very seriously in terms of uh, conveying uh, results to people you know in terms of does a person is a person uh, has a disease or predisposition to disease and Uh, So, for instance, one of the genes that we test puts a person at a very, very mild increased risk of cardiac disease. Now, how useful is that going to be to tell that person? It is a very uh, small risk factor. And if you can't do much about it, then is it going to be very useful? What we decided to do about it is that, okay, we have to convey it to the person. We can't hide the fact so, we decided that, okay, we say a lot uh, uh, more of the important things in the beginning and then put this at a later place in, uh, in terms that are um, such as this, that there is a very slightly increased uh, risk of this uh, happening and it may be because of this condition, for instance.
0: Suraj, uh, one last question before we conclude. Do you think genetic testing will replace any of the other medical tests?
1: In the vast majority of the cases, it's going to play more of a complementary role. So it is not going to replace an, any other test in medicine, it is only in a few cases where it can, it has the potential to replace. And there we are not talking more about human genes. So for instance, if we talk about uh, diagnosis of viruses and bacterial diseases and those kinds, the world has moved away from, uh, you know, culture-based tests to molecular tests already. So there there is a level of replacement already, and that, le- uh, that replacement is only accelerating Uh, with time. So, I I do see a time where we will replace the vast majority of those with molecular tests. On the other hand, human genetic tests replacing other tests, I I don't think that is going to happen at a very dramatic level. Uh, For instance, in cancer, there are a few different kinds of uh, tests that can be done uh, to find out a genetic mutation. Yeah. And the tests that are more prevalently used are subjective tests. So a person handles them, person looks at them, through, at the tissue uh, through the microscope and then uh, gives the answer. Whereas a genetic test or a molecular test is uh, the by PCR or sequencing is completely objective. So there is a level of uh, replacement that will happen there. But the role of the pathologist and looking at all the other aspects of a tissue and all of those, I don't see that being replaced
0: yet. Dear listeners, this was the ninth episode of Medicine Today on Digital Health. Hope you enjoyed it and hope you will join us next time. Do subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or SoundCloud, where you can find it under Medicine Today on Digital Health. Any comments or suggestions are also welcome on my email tjasa.zajc at dot s-i, or on Twitter where you can find me under at ZAJCTJASA. Stay tuned. Music.